MC Lobshire, the host of the Cash Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cash flow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at the holistic approach to cashflow investing. My guest in this episode is Jeff Houston. Jeff is a real estate investor and is the creator of 3D Money, a private equity firm that helps investors grow their money outside of Wall Street risk by investing in cashflow real estate. 3D Money helps investors create certainty in uncertain times. Jeff is also the creator behind the 3D Money Guy, an extensive collection of resources and a website dedicated to coaching and inspiring others on their financial journey. He recently co-authored the Amazon best-selling book, Purpose, Passion, and Profit. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, MC. It's good to be uh, good to be here, and thank you for the privilege of uh, of joining you today. Yeah, great to speak with you again. I had the pleasure of meeting you out at an event in Utah, and, and had some great conversations. So I was excited about our interview today, Jeff. I think before we jump into our discussion, uh, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your background and your journey with my listeners. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I'm a Minnesota born and raised guy. I um, married my high school sweetheart and um, we have uh, two daughters and six granddaughters. Uh, I was a farm kid, grew up here in the Midwest, um, don't have a college education. I'm very, uh, was, was very introduced very at a very young age by my dad to business principles. When I was 12, he sat me down and showed me how to fill out a financial statement and, and to do a business plan. And, um, and, um, so I had a dad that really instructed me and taught me a lot about how to uh, do business and how to think with a business mind. And, uh, so I spent, uh, the majority of my career, I spent 25 years building a financial services company. And then in 2010, I sold that 
And, uh, and that led me into doing what I do now, which is we own a private, my son-in-law and I own a private equity company that invests in multifamily uh, real estate. And so um, my, my heart beats for financial advising because I spent the majority of my, uh, of my career doing that. And I really love working with people and helping them maximize the efficiency of, um, of what they're doing financially. I also like helping uh, people to think more, um, more macro about life and macro about uh, their finances. Uh, I think it's been my experience, MC, that a lot of times people will, will tend to go more micro in their um in their their thinking about life and finances and so uh my perspective and we can maybe have a have opportunity to chat a little bit more about that as the interview develops but um my uh, uh my my thinking around that and my practice was really uh more in the area of helping people to think more think more holistically about uh their finances one of the things that i think bears um uh, explanation or kind of uh, it's a part it's an important part of my story in uh, in the financial services business is I started in the um, in the mid 80s and then I spent probably the first 15 years or so believing that uh, and being taught really by the financial services industry that um, there were were there were pretty much two places or two buckets if you will where people could put their money. Uh, one would be as the safe and secure bucket, right? So um, bank CDs and uh, fixed annuities and, and fixed insurance policies, things that don't have um, a lot of risk to them, little or no risk, but they also don't have a lot of growth potential. And then the other bucket was the, the risk bucket. And that would be you know stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that type of thing. And uh, so for the first 15 years, I, I spent na- helping my clients navigate uh, based on their specific um, uh, situation, navigate how to allocate in the two, those two different places. Well, in 2001, I had a red letter day and uh, I, I, I call it a red letter day because in the Bible, they put Jesus's words in red letters because they want them to stand out. And so a red letter day for me is just a day that, that stands out. And in 2001, I had a red letter day when somebody walked into my office and introduced me to the world of alternative investments. And I was a little bit embarrassed to uh, admit that I had been in the industry, in a financial industry, for as long as I had, but I didn't, I had never heard of them. I didn't even know what they were. And, but I quickly saw how they could fit into uh, a person's uh, financial, uh, fi- financial picture. And so we, I did, you know, started doing some aggressive research and study. And over the next 18 months, we really transformed our, our firm into more of a boutique firm that one of our specialties was alternative investments. And I learned a lot. In fact, over the, the um, ensuing eight years until I sold the firm in 2008 or in 2010 until I sold the firm, 
we ended up doing uh, over a hundred million dollars of putting clients' money into alternative investments. And I learned a lot about what works for them with them, what's good about alternatives, and I learned some things that uh, that are cautions, some things that are not good. And so, when in 2010, when I, I sold my practice. I really took everything that I had learned about alternatives and we created an investment company uh, that, uh, that I think is, um, you know, has some uniqueness to it. And uh, on our offerings, uh, we like to think are a little different than what is more commonplace out there. So I love what I do. Uh, I'm having a blast. I'm 57 years old. I, uh, my, my definition of retirement is... I get rid of everything that I don't like to do and I increase everything that I love to do. And when I get there, why would I ever want to quit? Right. So I'm, um, I, I'm seriously, I can say that I'm living the life I imagined. Um, and, um, it's, uh, it's great. I have uh, a, a beautiful wife and two kids and two son-in-laws that are like sons to me and, uh, six uh, granddaughters and, and a business that I love uh, being engaged in. So that's a little bit about me. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, in your uh, years in the financial planning and financial services uh, industry, the people that struggle, what was the, some of the commonalities that they had that struggled financially? Some of the things that really stood out to you? And then uh, if you don't mind contrasting that and saying, well, wow, these people do X, these couple of things very, very well. And that's why they're, they're successful. Very good. Uh, so I think first thing, and I alluded to this uh, a couple minutes ago, but people tend to think of their lives more compartmentally. So, you know, it's like, and, and I'm talking about uh, if we set aside just their financial life, let's talk about their life um, in general. People f- start and they tend to to look compartmentally, meaning that you know, friends is friends, church is church, and business is business, right? But the reality is that's not how we live life. That's that's not how it goes for us. And uh, when when uh, we have a uh, when when a uh, a husband and wife are having conflict in their in their marriage in their relationship it doesn't just affect the relationship between you know spouses it 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 affects you know other relationships kids friends you know it it can affect uh you know if if uh the uh the deterioration of the relationship goes far enough it you know affects finances sometimes it affects health um so you know it's 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 uh uh, it's important for us to uh, see our lives more holistically. That they are inter- that things are interconnected, and that plays into the finances because we 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 tend to see our finances as not a not a part of our, or, or really a separate part of our lives, you know, an, an integral part. But the reality is, we're talking about relate as I'm talking about relationships. Uh, statistics show that. Um, that marriages that have problems, one of the top reasons why they have problems is stress over finances. And, and so uh, to think holistically, that's kind of the first principle. But what that really leads into is, is the, the thought process that when a person looks at their finances, most people tend to think very microeconomically. 
and uh, it, it, there's uh, some. There's approximately 27 different parts to our financial life, right? So we have car insurance and homeowners insurance, and we have banking relationships and qualified plans at work, and we have, uh, you know, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and real estate. And you know, if you total them all up, somewhere's around, you know, between 25 and 30. Some experts will say there's about 27 different uh, financial aspects to our lives. And what I experienced, MC, is that a lot of people tend to think very microeconomically when in reality, we don't live in a microeconomic world, we live in a macroeconomic world. And so what I do in one area affects what I'm able to do in another area. And so I think the, that's why it's, it's uh, so important for your listeners and for people to when they want to when they want to function at a higher level with their finances they they need to whether it's work with somebody or do their own study somehow they need to get a picture of how do things connect together because they do connect together uh you know a real quick example would be uh of microeconomic uh, thinking is let's say that you get a uh, notice in the mail that your car insurance goes up 20% is going up 20% at renewal. And, and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? Right. I, I haven't had any accidents. I've had no tickets, you know, what 20%, what, that doesn't make any sense. And so you pull the file, you, the file out of the drawer and, and you're looking and you call your agent and maybe you shop it and you, you find it, maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's not whatever, but you figure it all out. And once it's resolved, you know, you put the file back in, and now the file now now the car insurance thing is put to bed. But the rea- and 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 the same we do the same with oh we're changing jobs and and uh, maybe we've got a um, we maybe we've got to roll our four hundred one k into a self directed IRA or something like that, and and we deal with that, and then and then we put it in the file cabinet and we kind of forget about it, as opposed to. Um, thinking more macroeconomically and understanding that the that everything is connected and what we do in one area affects what we how it affects the other areas also. And I, I love the the concept of the holistic uh, planning and uh, the holistic approach and um, very much aligned with that. I've spoken about that as well, especially too, even even just outside of the financial world, when you look at body, mind, your heart, and your spirit, mm. those are all connected. I mean, if you're if yes. you have an unhealthy body, your mind's okay, heart, the lo- love love is fine, right? Um, and the spirit is okay. It's still out of whack. So there's always all these things are connected. And I think you know when it comes to when you give an example like that, or even like a weight loss thing, right? We know we have to exercise, but also eat healthy, hydrate, you know, and rest. And people say, gee, yes. well, thanks, MC. That's very illuminating. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but when it comes to money and investing and wealth creation, it, it's just, we, we definitely just see it very much compartmentalized as you just, as you just uh, stated. Yes. So that'd probably be the, the top thing. Um, as I think about 25 years of working with people's finances, that's the, the probably the top thing that comes to mind is if if people will see it as connected, life and finance, and um, uh, take steps to integrate that together. And a lot of times, you know, you it, it isn't that you can't do this stuff alone, 
but working with uh, someone, I, I think there will always be a call in the marketplace for um, for um, uh, re- professional relationships, professional advising relationships, as it relates to um, as it relates to finances. A philosophical approach to wealth and wealth creation that you had, you'd mentioned the holistic side of it. Is there an infrastructure or, or a checklist that you've used in your life? Because there's so many different areas that you've created wealth in. Um, well, um, I would say that I, I like to think in terms of of uh, a home because I'm a real estate guy. I love real estate. And so if you think about a home and you think about how you build a home, the first thing you build is a foundation. And so if we correlate that to a financial home, we take a physical house and we take a financial house and uh, really in the, in the foundation of a financial home, there's probably two pieces. Uh, The first is asset protection that would be in the foundation of your financial home asset protection would be ensuring the you know the the things that you own that would be you know car insurance and homeowners insurance and those types of things and then there's also the second part of it would be income protection and uh, income protection would be you know life insurance and disability insurance and some of those uh, those medical insurance things of the, of that nature that would be all in the in the foundation of the home. Then in the in the main part of the house, let's say there's two rooms in the house. I think of it is that there's there's like a short term uh, savings part of the house, and then there's a room in the house, and then there's a long term savings. Short term meaning you know uh, traditional liquidity, maybe. Um, you know, money that you'd need five years or less, right? It could be for emergency fund money. It could be for, uh, you know, a replacing a car or replacing tires or something as basic as that. Uh, or it could be that you're saving for something. Maybe it's saving for a vacation, saving for, uh, you know, to, to purchase a second home that you're going to put money down on, whatever the case be. That would be, you know, five years or less in the short term. So having a plan for that. And then you have the long-term savings savings, which would be things that you're doing more long-term investing. Um, and, um, and then uh, finally, in the peak or the roof of the house um, that is your risk investments. And what I, what I find is that a lot, of, a, a lot of people that came to me for financial advice, when they laid out their whole picture, I the observation that I made is that a lot of people tend to build the house upside down. They tend to build it, you know, imagine uh, turning this house upside down. So it's standing on its roof, meaning that the, you know, the risk investments is the first thing and they, and they didn't take care of the foundational things. And so um, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, having uh, having great insurance coverage. I think it's your first line of defense in asset protection and um, liability protection. I also am a big believer in life insurance. Um, I own a lot of life insurance on myself. I own permanent life insurance with, you know, cash value life insurance, which is a little... Um, 
um, you know, if you if you listen to Money Magazine or you listen to um, Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey or you know, kind of fill in the blank, you know, they're going to say, hey, you know, that that's a, that's a dumb thing. I'm saying for me, it's been one of the the best financial investments that I have had. Um, in fact, I would say it's one of the top two. My permanent cash value life insurance is probably one of the top two best investments that I have had. Not because the internal rate of return is so great, but because the external rate of return is fantastic. And by that, I mean the external rate of return, meaning how I can utilize that asset. And I have utilized it many times. I've used cash cash value in my policies, whether I take it out or whether I leverage it to acquire other income producing assets. And so, um, you know, I love cash flow. I, I've been very intentional over my, uh, my investing career of accumulating cash flowing property. My dad taught me about the importance of net worth, but it w- was really uh, until when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, a whole bunch of years ago, probably 15 years ago, that it really clicked for me that, you know, net worth is good, but cash flow is where it's at. And, uh, and so how do you get reoccurring cash flow? And so I've been very intentional about that. And permanent cash value life insurance has been a wonderful instrument for me. And I will say of, um, you know, in the 25 years that I was a, a financial advisor, you know, I went through the, the downturn of, of 1987 and then the, the tech boom and subsequent bust of, of the 90s. And then I, I, you know, 2001 terrorist attacks devastated the markets and, you know, and it was really a challenging time to be in the industry. And then, of course, uh, 10 years ago and 2008, when the whole meltdown happened then. And so I've seen a lot of cycles. And what I can tell you is, is that um, when you have a good foundation in your home, in your financial home, a solid foundation, meaning you've taken care of some of the asset and income protection things, the clients that were willing to engage with me from the beginning and had a good solid financial foundation in their financial home, those were the clients that weathered the storms the best. You're listening to Jeff Houston on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. You're listening to Jeff Houston on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. Yeah. And to, to your point, the strategy of, uh, of, uh, Cash value life insurance in combination with real estate is the is the system that uh, that we preach about as well, and uh, and a lot of our clients engage in. It's just very very powerful, as you mentioned, because of uh, that solid foundation that it has and the ability to leverage and acquire other assets. Let's change gears a little bit to uh, real estate. 
When, mm-hmm. what was some of the things that attracted you to real estate? Where did you start? What were some of the first deals that you're doing? And then, um, how did, you know, uh, if you could talk a little bit about the growth of how you grew into and, and built this company where you are today. Absolutely. So my first real estate goes all the way back to uh, 1980 when I acquired some farmland. And so I have owned and I do still own farmland. Uh, in fact, uh, just uh, uh, last month, I acquired uh, another 100 acres of farmland. So I like core or tier one assets, which is, um, uh, you know, real estate uh, in, in farmland would be considered to be a, a tier one asset. So I like, I like land, I like hard assets. But in 2010, after I had sold my practice, I had some money uh, at my disposal and I had I have a son-in-law who has a background in construction and real estate. And so we teamed up and we started buying real estate in the downturn. It was a little bit of a scary time to be buying real estate, but we primarily were buying houses uh, and we were buying houses from banks. And our initial objective was, is, hey, you know, if we could uh, buy 40 or 50 individual houses and, um, uh, you know, and, and we're, we were buying them wholesale. So we were getting good deals on them and they were, had, had nice cash flow to them. And that was pretty much in 2010 when it started. Now I did have some, a few people that had, that, you know, knew, knew me, knew, uh, my business, uh, kind of street smarts and they believed that the real estate market presented some opportunities. So I had some people that, uh, put some money in with us to, uh, to, at that time, Um, but it was a very small group of people. So there was probably about five individuals besides my own money. We pooled uh, that money and we started buying real estate in the downturn. In 2012, I transitioned to multifamily and really haven't looked back since. Um, I, our, our tagline or our, our, we, we, we manage our own properties, MC. So, um, um, we have our own management company, and in that that management company's the tagline is affordable housing to modest income people, and so we specialize in really B and C class apartment buildings, workforce housing, non subsidized, um, and we we look for properties in outstate regional hubs, meaning that because we're we self manage everything, we primarily. Um, are up in the upper Midwest here. I live in Minnesota. And so all of our properties are currently in Minnesota. We have some deals pending in South Dakota right now and, uh, and some on the docket for Northern Iowa, but, um, but primarily in the Midwest. And uh, we look, as I said, for these outstate regional hubs, meaning that they have, uh, they're probably a county seat. They've got a, co- a college, they have a regional hospital, uh, you know, good industry that's having happening, go- government central services, but their population might only be twenty or thirty thousand people, but they have a big pull factor, meaning that a lot of people come into that town uh, to to work, and uh, so it's a regional hub. And we have found we have found uh, great success working in those markets. We also find that we don't compete with a lot of the institutional money that the major metropolitan markets uh, compete with or that, you know, have. And so uh, it's a little bit of a, of a niche for us that 
uh, that we've carved out and uh, and it's been working very well. So um, a typical transaction for us is, you know, maybe a 80 unit apartment complex. It was probably built in the 70s or 80s. So it's a little tired, uh, meaning that it might have original roof or original parking lot. The windows are original. And, you know, it's it needs some TLC. It needs some things, uh, some money put into it. And uh, it's generally, they're fully occupied when we buy them, but they're not optimized. A lot of times they're outside or third-party managed, so expenses are high. Um, you know, they're, they're falling in some disrepair, so the rents have not been able to be raised. And we come in, we acquire that, and we, we spend, uh, we have a, a three-year kind of a turnaround strategy. Uh, year one is about rehab and repositioning the management. Year two is about stabilizing the financials. And then in year three, we refinance it and uh, we were able to take the investors out. Now, we still we still keep the property. We don't sell it because we're cash flow guys. But uh, then the investors are, are liquid out of the investment and then they uh, you know, can make a decision on whether they want to reinvest with us in another, uh, in another project or not. Um, so that's, uh, we currently have a portfolio of about uh, $55 million of real estate and we have our private equity fund. We're small. Uh, we have a private equity fund of about $21 million uh, with 100, uh, right at 100, just short of 100 uh, investors. And so uh, we, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the upshot of what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. And there's also opportunities for equity investors as well as debt investors in some of your projects? Actually, currently, and that's one of the unique things of our offering is that we don't have any equity offerings. A lot of these deals do have equity offerings, but our intention when we came into this MC was we wanted to uh, create a very simple and... um, uh, and low risk opportunity for investors to to uh, put money into. So it's all debt, uh, meaning that it's a secured note. It's secured by the real estate, and they're they're all three year notes. So it's a three year note secured by the real estate. Typically, investors there's kind of two quadrants of investors that put money with us. One would be if you're let's say ages forty to sixty years old. Typically, that that's qualified money. Uh, you know, somebody changes jobs; they've got a self-directed IRA. They're they're in the markets. They're concerned about the markets. A lot of those people will look at our investment as a bond alternative. You know, if they have three hundred thousand dollars invested in a self-directed IRA, you know, they probably already have forty percent of it. Depending on their age, they probably got at least forty percent of it in fixed income, right? In bonds allocated there. And so that's 120,000. Well, you know, our investment, we pay 7%. And what our investors tell us is where can we find a 7% bond right now in this marketplace? And so 40 to 60 year olds are, are investing qualified money. And usually they're looking at it as a bond alternative. The 60 to 80 year old person, it's flat out, it's a CD alternative. Right, it's a fixed. They go from you know two percent interest or one or two, virtually nothing at the bank, 
to getting a 7% yield. And so it's a fixed income alternative for uh, the person that needs income. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, one of the, the habits that I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what are you currently excited about? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I love that question. Um, I'm in strategic coach. So that would be a, uh, I've been an 18 year participant to strategic coach. In fact, tomorrow I fly to Chicago for two days of, of coaching. And um, that is um, from a business standpoint, kind of a big concept that I'm focusing on is, um, is who, not what. And what I, what I mean by that is when I, I have an obstacle that, that I'm presented with in my business, uh, my first inclination, my first instinct is, you know, to do, how, you know, what do I have to do? How am I going to do that? How am I going to make, how am I going to fix this? Or how am I going to uh, deal with this issue? And, uh, but the, the, the uh, question that I am um, leaning more into now is that I think the answer to, to more and more I want is to be who. So I want to get who'd up, if you will. Uh, H-O-W, uh, um, you know, I want to get who'd up. H-O-W, uh, or um, <laughs> uh, I want to get who'd up. And so, um <clears throat> That's um, strategic coach is one aspect. Secondly, I do listen to um, to uh, real estate guys, the realestateguysradio.com. I like their their podcasts and their stuff, so I'm listening to that. And um, uh, of course, syndication things. I am um, I am always I'm I'm always um, looking for ways to improve uh, the improve my my understanding of successful syndication and and uh, advancing how we raise money and how we service our investors and uh, and then personally I'm reading a book right now by uh, David Jeremiah called uh, overcomer and it's uh, eight ways to live a life of unstoppable strength unmovable faith and unbelievable power. And so that's kind of uh, three things that I'm, that I'm doing right now. Yeah. I love Dan Sullivan stuff and also a member of strategic coach myself. Uh, it's a, he's got phenomenal stuff and especially that one concept, I think right there is just so, so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Um, now a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. Uh, so, Jeff, if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allow, allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Okay. Um, I would say principle number one, I got to set it up. Before I tell you what it is, I got to set it up. Um, King Solomon is, uh, you know, of course, he's a, he's a, um, even for people that don't believe in the Bible, uh, historians know that King Solomon was a, uh, a real figure. And, but um, he, in the, in the Bible, it talks about the life of King Solomon and that, in fact, the Bible says that he was really unique in human history in the fact that he was incredibly wise. 
and that God had uh, um, had given him an, an incredible measure of wisdom. In fact, the Bible says that uh, there there was ne- there has there had never been anybody like him before on planet Earth, and there never would be anybody like him again. That he was really a unique individual. In fact, um, there's about three thousand proverbs and uh, and wise sayings that uh, were recorded that King Solomon said, and one of them. He says this, he says, above all else. And the reason I wanted to set it up is because above all else, what you mean above all the other things, all, I mean, you're, this is reportedly the wisest guy in human history. And he says, above all else. I mean, okay, I'm, I've taken notice that the, above all, all the other 3000 are things that were recorded are important, but he says, above all else, he says, guard your heart because it determines the direction of your life. And I think that's so powerful and it's a principle that I want my kids and my grandkids to hang on to that, you know, and, and we don't have, have time. It's really not the nature of uh, our conversation to talk about, how, you know, how do we guard our hearts? But I think your listeners can, can uh, I, I'd like for them to dig into that and just to ask themselves the question about how do I guard my heart? What does it mean when Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart because it determines the direction of your life? So that would be not principle number one. Uh, principle number two would be really to honor the, um, uh, the principles of the land. And when I say land, I'm talking about the, you know, like the farmland. I was, I'm a farm kid. I was raised on the farm and, and the principles that I was taught growing up that I observed growing up. Uh, I call them the principles of the land, meaning like, Oh, you know, you reap what you sow, right? We never planted corn and expected to get soybeans, right? Yeah. You, you reap what you sow, uh, on the land and you reap what you sow in life. Um, and, um, you know, things like, uh, we used to say, Hey, you got to make hay while the sun shines. Well, that just means that, you know what, we, we work first and we play later. And, uh, you know, when it's time to, to do business and when it's time to work, then we, we show up, we show up on time, we show up dressed to play. So honor the principles of the land. That would be the second. And then, uh, the third is really that, um, people is where ultimate, value and purpose in life is found. People, um, there is a, a proverb that says when the, um, when there, there's no oxen in the field, the manger is empty. When there's no oxen in the field, the manger is empty. See, when you're, when you have oxen out in the field and they're working and they're getting stuff done, the, you know, the barn is a mess, right? You know, I mean, there's a lot of poop in the barn, right? The manger is messy. The gutter is messy. And, but, but there's work being done out there. And so the kind of the principle for us today in that is that if you want a life that's, that's free from problems and complications, just don't have any people in it. Right. But that's the paradox is that people is where, where worth and value uh, in life is found. And so uh, people is um is a key principle uh, that i'd like to pass on yeah those are great thank you for sharing jeff how can my listeners uh learn more, more about you and your company where can they follow you and where can they stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with yes uh two websites 
<laughs> 3dmoney.com is our investor investor website. That would be the number three, the letter D is in David and the word money.com. And that is our site for our private equity company. And then I have, <clears throat> I have a new venture that I started late last year and it's called 3dmoneyguy.com. So again, the number three letter D is in David, word money, and then G-U-I, 3dmoneyguy.com. And uh, it's just a <clears throat> nonprofit resource that I'm putting out there to help uh, give people education and information about how they can uh, do the best they can and really pursue freedom in um, in the areas in, you know, the area of freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationship and freedom of purpose. And obviously those freedoms will sound familiar to you uh, as a strategic coach guy MC. But so it's 3dmoneyguy.com and 3dmoney.com. Fantastic, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Absolutely. All the best, MC. MC Lobshire, the creator and host of The Cashflow Ninja and president of Producers Wealth. And I'm on a mission to help you achieve economic and financial freedom as quickly as possible. I achieve this by integrating the infinite banking concept with real estate investments to increase your efficiency and returns and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware of that you're losing. I share the number one strategy for investors in my holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.